0: This message was presented at the GYC 2017 conference, Arise, in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.
1: All right, good morning, everybody. Oh, boom, boom, boom. How are you this morning? Oh, Amen. Ready for a... Ready for a day full of the grace and glory of God? We're excited that you've joined us this morning. We're excited to um, we're excited to share, particularly this topic, uh, over the over the years of the years and, and miles, the places that we've gone uh, to to share the the love of God and the Word of God. We find ourselves returning to certain themes repetitively. And uh, this is definitely one of them. In fact, it's we have kind of an internal—I don't know—it's almost a, a joke in our family that we can't go anywhere or preach about anything until we have covered, you know, the basics of the Word of God. And maybe that's kind of a no-brainer. Yet, I—I I, I find it to be one of those things that we we know. Um, we have kind of a cerebral appreciation for, yeah, we need the Word of God. The Word of God is life to us. This is where we get our instruction from. This is where we get wisdom and guidance from. This is the life of God is delivered to us through His Word. And yet we know that, right? We know it in our brains. But um, so often there's such a gulf between that knowledge and the actual application. Or we you know open our Bibles in the morning and, again... Okay, I'm supposed to do uh, devotions now, uh, and yet try as we might to get, just the base is heavy here, try as we might to get uh, a blessing, like what are the tools? Am I doing something wrong? Why am I Why am I completely disinterested? Why am I falling asleep? Why am I not finding here the power of infinite God? I need, uh, I need power, I know I need power, but I can't find it. So we're excited to, to tackle this together. Let's, um, let's have a word of prayer together uh, before we dive in this morning. Father in heaven, here we, here we come, a, a little cluster of your children, and uh, we're here because we deeply desire the blessing of, of, of God. We're here because we have a, an appreciation for all that is available to us through your word, and yet... The stunning reality is that that blessing sometimes seems very difficult to access, very difficult to get. So uh, guide us in our study, in our discussion uh, today, that we might come to the conclusions that your spirit would have us come to, that we might see in new ways the beauty of the Word of God, that we might be willing to set aside those things distracting us or detracting from the power of the Word of God in our lives Uh, And do the brave thing so that you can do what you're good at, which is blessing your children. Uh, I want to pray in a special way that you would take control of of my mouth, Natasha's mouth this morning, that as we try to articulate deep truths of the Word of God, we would do so in in such a simple and practical and yet engaging way that all of us uh, come away with not just inspiration, but actually practical application. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, I want to kind of uh, start with a little mental exercise. Here's your mental exercise: uh, this mini word cloud on the on the screen. Can anybody tell me what these various words have in common? Hand, uh, answer, worship, guard, practice, question, order, head, face, battle, challenge, trace, etc. Can anyone anyone have any idea what these words have in common? With each other by the raising of a hand. It's kind of a, it's a bit of a trick. Yes, in the back. They are active, that's half of the answer. They're active and they're what? All except, I think, one of them, which is P R O G R E S S. That's two words in one. One is progress, and the other one is progress. All the others are the same word, but they're both nouns and verbs. Does that make sense? You can cheer someone, or you can have cheer. You can worship, or you can have worship. You can have a question, or you can question something. Does that make sense? So they're actions, and they're also <laughs> they're nouns. They're persons, places, or things. They're they're uh, they entities. Now, why do I why do I Ask you to put your attention on this at the start. in on that word in the middle, worship. It's kind of a little bit bigger than some of the other ones. I think in our minds we have this uh, we have this understanding. Worship is a well. Okay, if I just said the word worship. We might be split right down the middle of the room as to what comes to your mind. You might think of worship the action, or you might think of having family worship. And sometimes, in our minds, there's a great distinction between those two things. My question is, why is there a great distinction? Or should there be a great distinction? We talk about, okay, well, let's sit down. We have to have family worship. But in our family worship, do we remember that the purpose of family worship, the noun, is worship the verb. This is not just an exercise of, okay, good grief, we have to read the next page of the EGY devotional and have three-minute prayer before we run off into our day, and now we've had worship. We may have have had worship, but have we worshiped, friends? I want to give you, uh, I want to point your minds to this reality, this dichotomy, this kind of disconnect, because the same thing happens with this word that we use, devotions. I'm going to, you know, I need to have devotions. Devotions are important to have, but devotions—that's a noun—and the root of devotions is actually another noun, devotion. But that noun, devotion, denotes a, a, a particular kind of action, a particular kind of posture. We'll come back to this kind of at the end of this uh, at the end of this segment. Devotion. Let's not. Uh, Let us not confuse this idea of having devotions in the morning with a, uh, you know, a a particular hour, a particular set of exercises, a particular kind of activity that we engage in. Uh, If we go there in our minds, we miss the essence, I think, of what, quotes, devotions are supposed to be, which is, by definition, a devotional exercise. Does that make sense? Are we all together? Okay, so let this thought, this idea, float around in the back of your mind as we continue through this session and if you uh, return with us for later sessions. We're talking about what we often kind of associate with noun. These are persons, places, things. No, what we want to do is draw away from that just far enough to say, what is the active ingredient? What is supposed to be the, the posture of my heart in response to this activity, this blip? On my schedule um, and respond accordingly. So, first question for this uh, for this morning: Why devotions? Why do we have devotions? This is kind of the overarching uh, question uh, for this um, for this uh, segment. And I want to make a uh, an appeal, kind of upfront. There are many reasons why we have devotions. Why we pursue devotion towards God. Many reasons. Um, And we'll lay out several this morning, some of which will probably resonate with you more than others. But at the very start, I I want to, uh, I don't know, I just want to give you a peek into my heart. So literally, two days before I came uh, to G, not two days, might have been three days. Anyway, a few days before I came to GYC, I I walked down the hill uh, at my house. My house is literally... uh, the width of this room from the National Forest, my front door. So if you throw a pebble out my door, you're in our backyard, and it's 3.3 million acres. It's a very big backyard. Well, part of that backyard, um, in part of that backyard, is a, a special place I love to go. It's, it's a little altar um, that I've built, and it's the place that I go to pray. Not that there's anything, you know, especially significant about a particular pile of stones. This is not idolatry, but you understand. It's a special place I go to pray. And um... <laughs> let's just not have any confusion here, okay? <laughs> I don't want to be hearing six months from now that Sean is into building shrines. <laughs> um, it's a particular place I go to pray. And so on this particular day, a couple of days before GYC, I went down to this altar, and suddenly, as I did, I, I had this thought. Son, how long have you been doing this? And I checked my mental calculations. You know what the answer was? 15 years. When I was 16 years old, I was about to go off to college. I was scared because almost without exception, The friends of mine raised as I was that had gone away to college had just kind of lost it. They'd they'd washed out. They'd completely left behind everything they'd loved and known before. And they'd turned into completely new people. And turning into a completely new person isn't all bad. But uh, it is when that includes letting go of Jesus. And I did not want that to happen. And I was so scared that my my fear um, propelled me. Out my door, up the hillside, to a little pile of rocks, to pray, to beg God for for strength and fortitude and and, and you know vision and the, the ability to, to hold fast that which I had, that no man take my crown. Anyway, I was sixteen years old. And from that day until this I've had this habit at the middle of every day. Interruptive or not, in fact, I think it's especially powerful because it is interruptive. Nobody has time in the middle of their day to just like chop out and go away and pray for 30 minutes. Um, but I find it to be the single most in influential uh, factor in my spiritual experience.
0: Hmm.
1: Now, we're not talking about prayer time this morning, so I'll move on from my illustration. Sixteen years ago, sixteen years ago, uh, when I was 16 years old, I started this. And so here we are. Three days ago, I'm walking not Three again, whatever it was. A couple days ago, a couple days before GYC, walking down to my altar, and the question comes burning to my mind: How long have you been up to this? And the answer was 15 years. Now you can do the math and figure out how old I am. 15 years. And right on the on the tail of that question came this next question: Are you all you should be considering? Like, what do you have to show for 15 years of this kind of devotion? Hmm. And I had to stand there, and have you ever ever had God ask you a question, and the answer just, uh, like either you didn't have an answer, or maybe you asked God a question, and then he responds, and the answer just silences you completely? I was silenced completely in that moment. And then on the tale of that came this desperate longing for more, more of Jesus, more yet than even 15 years of this little habit of mine. And on the tales came this question, okay, so what's, what's our problem? You would think that in 15 years I would be just, I mean, I don't know where I am, only Jesus knows where we are, but you'd think, I would think I'd be light years ahead of where I am. I don't know if that makes sense. So what's our problem? Is it possible that I could go through this, uh, this experience and that experience would just turn into the motions? Is it possible? <laughs> yes, it's possible. Yes, it's possible. I'm answering the question, why devotions? What I concluded in the, in the light of this uh, um, sudden realization... What I concluded is that, in fact, we are we are predisposed. We are bent towards having our having our communion swapped out for this thing we call connection. I alluded to this um, a little bit last night. Connection. What does connection look like these days? You know, Connection looks like, oh, yeah. Flick, 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 flick. Oh, double tap. Ah, yes, that's good. Flick, flick, flick. Oh, that's particularly good. Let me comment. Ah, okay. Flick, flick, flick. Man, I just connected with 30 people. Yes. Easier than ever, right? Hmm. I mean, there has never been an age in which more people knew what more of their friends were eating for lunch today. But in the light of that increased connection, do you know what happens when something is uh... – let me ask you a question. Okay, so the government – we're not going to get into politics here, but the government kind of ran out of money. So what did they decide? They started printing money, right? So now there's more money. Same value, more money. What does that do to money? Inflation. Each dollar is worth less. So we have what I consider to be a situation of endemic relational inflation. Connections are easy to make. Easy to make. Boom, 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 boom. Like, like, like. You just lit up like 30 people's phones if they have notifications on if they have notifications on. Lord have mercy. You just lit up 30 people's phones in the last 30 seconds and now off you are to your day. What does that mean? It means each connection is worth infinitely less than it used to be. You know what I decided standing on the side of the hill? I don't want to connect with God anymore. I don't even want to connect with God anymore. Not if connection is that. I want to commune Hmm. with God. I want to stop long enough to actually exchange life, me and him. See how that's something completely different? So question number one, why devotions? Why? For communion. Why? And why communion? We were created for communion. In the beginning, God created, and he created us. And why did he create us? You know why he created us? Outlet for love. Because God is love, and love needs an object. He created us to love us, to live with us, to walk and talk in the garden in the cool of the day. And, of course, devil knew that. He knew, you know what? If I can just interrupt that one thing, I could mess the whole thing up. And he did. And he did. Why devotions? Number one, communion. Do you have something to add to that?
0: Yes, absolutely. So during this first session this morning, we're going to be talking a lot about like the heart behind devotions. And then in the next three sessions, the next one this morning, and then the two this afternoon, we're going to be talking about the very practicals, like the nuts and bolts of what you can apply even tomorrow morning to enhance your devotional time. So as we're talking about the heart behind devotions, think back on your spiritual life. Okay, think back to the very best moment that you can think of, whether that's right now, whether that's a year ago, whether that's, you know, however many years ago that might be, the very best moment or two moments or, you know, seasons in your walk with God. Think back to that and then think, what were my devotions like at that time, if you were having time with God? Whether that was in the, in the you know, classic sense of, oh, wake up in the morning, have your devotions, do the... What was your time with God like at that very best time in your walk with God? Now, think about the very worst time. That's not a very nice thing to think about. But think about the very worst time in your spiritual life, whether that was, hey, I was disconnected from him entirely. Maybe that was, oh, I was stumbling through the motions. You know, still going to church, doing whatever I was doing. But, you know, whatever the worst time in your spiritual life, think about how were your devotions at that point? How was your time with God at that point? I was thinking about this the other day, and I was like, wow, you know what? Our walk with God is no more vibrant than the trending health of our devotions. What I mean by that is, okay, so maybe um, you normally have very vibrant devotions, but something happens, and there's like a crisis, and the situation around you, and maybe for three days, you're up, you know, late, up early, and you're very tired, and you may not have as quality of devotions in those three days but the trend of your devotions is very vibrant. Okay, so you can look at that and say, you know what, I can look at my spiritual life and say, it is being fed, it is being strengthened regularly. You never meet a young person who's considering leaving God, leaving the church, I don't think this is for me, and then you ask them, well, what are your devotions like? Oh, they're, they're great, they're awesome, they're vibrant, you know, every morning I connect, it's fantastic, I know God. Those things don't go together. So our spiritual life is no better than the trending health of our devotions. And I would also add the trending health of our witnessing to other people. Now, so if we take that principle, but, okay, the flip side of that is, was the, do we have any example in sacred history of a, of a group of people who had fabulous devotions on the you know, external sense of the term, but whose hearts were utterly trans, untransformed? Okay, the Pharisees, they knew the law backwards and forwards. They read it all the time. They had it memorized. They prayed out in the streets, you know, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. And their actual characters were really terrible, right? So our spiritual life is not only as strong as the trending health of our devotions, but it is only as strong as our devotions are transformational. So if my devotions are consistently transforming the way I think, the way I process, the way I view the world, the way I view God, if my devotions are consistently changing that for the better, to be more biblical, more in alignment with the way God says reality is and not the way the world says reality is, if that is consistently happening, my devotions are keeping me close to Christ. If I'm just coming and I'm reading, and it's like, oh yeah, I was interesting. Or, oh yeah, I know this doctrine. Oh yeah, so-and-so has it wrong, yeah, and I'm reading that way, those devotions don't keep us alive, right? And we all technically know that, but in application, in our day-to-day basis, I just want you to think right now, and it's not a thing of condemnation, you know, how strong are my devotions right now? Because they can be stronger tomorrow. They can be stronger tonight. They can be stronger anytime. But think about it right now. For the past month, how vibrant have my devotions been? If they've been vibrant, praise the Lord, we can take it to the next level. If they haven't been vibrant, Today is the first day of the rest of our lives. Amen.
1: Testing, test. Okay, back on. So, why why have devotions? Number one, communion. We were created for communion. We need communion. And we can have communion um, mm. starting tomorrow. Number two, perspective. Why do we need to, why should we have devotions? Why should we pursue this posture of devotion towards God perspective? I'm going to show you a quote which I just find ultra fascinating uh, to, to, to answer this question. Actually, two quotes. Uh, and I'm going to answer this question in two parts. So why should we have devotions? Because we need perspective. Why do we even need perspective, though? Fact number one, we are bent towards unbelief. We're bent towards unbelief. Look at this, this is, uh, this statement is just fascinating to me. Uh, This is from Sermons and Talks 143, a a sermon Ellen White gave by the name of uh, Cherishing Faith, Not Doubt. It is not natural for us to believe, she says, but it is very natural for us to foster unbelief. This, get this, get this guys, (laughs) this is the besetting sin and has been the besetting sin of God's people. It has not been natural for me to believe for myself. This is Ellen White talking, mind you. It has not been natural for me to believe for myself, and I have had very severe lessons on this point until I know that it is not safe for me to cherish one for one moment any doubt. We are bent towards unbelief. And I don't mean just on a personal, uh, I mean at a personal level, I think all of us know that There are times we close our eyes at night and we want to sl- uh, we go to sleep and sleep will not come because our minds are just going a million miles an hour. And what's rattling around between our ears is this. Just an inherent lack of, lack of confidence. This is endemic. This is natural to the human family. And it could be self-doubt and it could be God-doubt and it could be any kind of doubt. But here's my point, number one. We are bent towards doubt. Fact number two. In answer to that question, okay, we're bent towards doubt, then my question would be, why are we bent towards doubt? Fact number two, beholding is believing. Listen to this. This is another sermon talk, 227, Keep the Commandments. Adam ventured to transgress one prohibition of God, which was the test that God gave man to try his loyalty and obedience transgressed one prohibition. There was nothing in the fruit of the tree of knowledge that was dangerous in itself, but the danger, emphasis is mine, the danger was in Adam and Eve listening to Satan and venturing to transgress. Here was Eve listening to the voice of the tempter. His words were contradicting the words of God that death was the penalty for transgression. Satan says, ye shall not die. God says, if ye eat of it, ye shall die. And the question is, whom shall we believe? That little bold that little bold line the danger was in Adam and Eve listening to Satan my point there is a simple one when in the presence of God God was perfectly believable for Adam and Eve like when he was there telling them okay here's the garden. Here's your job. It's yours. All of it. Make a home. Accept this one tree. Don't go by this one tree. That one tree holds in it the key to your destruction. Just for your own soul's sake, stay away. There was nothing, of course I'm not Adam or Eve and neither are any of us, but from all we know of Adam and Eve, there's no indication that Adam and Eve came together after God left and were like, oh man, are you serious? I'll bet he's, no, no, there was nothing in the mind of either Adam or Eve that made them think anything other than what God just told them. Because in the presence of God, God was fully believable. What else did God say to Eve in particular regarding sticking with her husband? Okay, stick together. Stick together. And what happened? They didn't. And then what happened? She found herself under the tree. And then what happened? In the presence of the tempter, who became believable? The tempter became believable. Fact number one, we are bent towards unbelief. Fact number two, beholding is believing. I have this idea that one of the reasons perhaps why we have endemic unbelief today is that God seems far away. And he seems far away because we've put all these filters between us and God. When Cain killed Abel, and ran off to start his own civilization, how many human beings were there on the planet who said, there is no God? None that we know of. Fast forward. When the most secular society in the world was building a tower called Babel, how many among them said, there is no God? No, they were building the tower because there was a God. Hmm. They were building the tower in case God decided to destroy the world again with a flood so that they could outsmart God. How many among us today say there is no God? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Huge number. And why? Why do we say there is no God? Well... Because our minds are so consumed, our eyes are so consumed with other things that make God less believable. Are you tracking with me? Beholding is believing. To believe the word of God, we must have our eyes on the word of God. Mm. We take our eyes off the word of God and God will become less and less believable, less and, and more and more confusing, less and less logical. And then we find ourselves... In post postmodern America, where not only, you know, is there no God, but everything goes.
0: So let's bring this home to ourselves. The exact point that Sean was just talking about. Who do you personally, in your own mind, in your own heart, we don't have to answer this to anyone but ourselves and God? Who do you personally find most believable right now? Do you personally find most believable what the Word of God has to say? about reality, about society, about the future, about where this is going, about how I should live my life, do I find the word of God most believable in what it says? Or do we find that society has a couple of good points, that somehow, you know, the Bible writers, because they lived, you know, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 4,500 years ago, that they somehow missed, that, that we understand today that they don't get. What is most believable to our own souls? This is a check that we should be often doing and saying. okay, how, again, to back to the point I was mentioning at the beginning, how transformed am I by this book, by the God of this book? Do I find him most believable, what he says most believable, or do I find what the world says most believable? And that tells us what we are most frequently beholding.
1: Mm-hmm. So, why should we have devotions? Number one, communion. Obviously, we were created for communion. Anything short of this is less than the crown we were created to wear, and therefore, we'll just never find the fulfillment and satisfaction that we seek as human beings. Number one reason, uh, maybe the, 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 the biggest, most powerful reason to, to seek Uh, devotional experience with God. Number two, we need perspective. We are bent towards unbelief and the reason why we're bent towards unbelief is because seeing is believing and our eyes are so full of everything else. We're surrounded by a, a, a world that just glitters and tries to draw away our attention, draw our attention to anything and everything but the word of infinite God. Just for survival. I don't have to tell you this. A lot of you are in school. You know that just to survive Forget finals week and dead week. I mean, just survive the semester. It's going to take you 22 hours of study a day, not including Bible time. Do you see how unrealistic it is? Hmm. It's unrealistic, though, because society at large, knowingly or unknowingly, I mean, obviously, it's not your professors that are, not if you go to one of our schools, hopefully, Hmm. that are conspiring against... You know, humanity to, to bereft all of this this upstanding Christian student body of all of their Bible time. No no no, it's that that's not even the point. The point is our whole lives have just gotten sucked down this this vortex and we find it increasingly unnatural to do what is necessary mm. and therefore increasingly unnatural to love and trust God. Mm. Increasingly unnatural to to have to to be friends with him like uh like we ought to. Perspective. Um, for survival. Look at this quote. Look at this quote. This is Reflecting Christ, the devotional, 369. Those who endeavor, I just found this the other morning. Those who endeavor to obey all the commandments of God will be opposed and derided. How many people will be opposed and derided And which class? Okay, all who endeavor to... Obey the commandments of God. So hopefully that's the people in this room, right? Mm. We're here because we, we, we seek to obey the commandments of God. They will be opposed and derided. They can stand only in God. Now jump down to the other bold part. The reason I bolded that is because I'm going to show you this quote for another point too. They can stand only in God. None but those who have fortified their minds with the truth of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. Mm. And you know what? I want to submit to you that none... <laughs> Uh, none but those who have fortified their minds with the truths of the Bible will stand through the peer pressure hmm. at school, will stand through the conflict at work, will stand through the, uh, the ups and downs of family relationships. None but those who have fortified the mind with the truths of the Bible will stand hmm. through the last great conflict. So clearly, if we want to survive... Devotions.
0: One of the things that has come home so strongly to my heart is that whatever world we spend the most time in is the world that we will conform to. So if we are spending the most time looking at what's going on around us, looking at all of our Instagram, all of our friends, all of our Facebook, all this, then that's the world we're going to conform to, society. If we spend the most time living and beholding another world, Christ, the angels, the judgment, uh-huh. the realities of heaven, that is the world we are going to conform to. Speaking of this point of survival, very soon, whether you agree with it, we can see right now a, a small <laughs> a small piece, whether you agree with it or do not agree with it politically, the, the societal stigma that is being placed on given people, whether you agree with it or disagree with it, I'm going to tell you that that societal stigma is going to be placed on the people of God. So when you read sarcastic or, you know, could be various sort of commentaries in this generation, just know, okay, you know what? Against political
1: figures that we will not name at this time.
0: Whether you agree with those political figures or you disagree, that's not what's being addressed here, okay? What's being addressed is you read that, and whether you think, well, I agree with that point, or you think, well, I don't like that point, recognize, hey, this is what is going to be said about the people of God if we are among that number, This is the kind of stigma that's going to be landing on us. For survival, which world are you most attached to? Which world are you so convinced of what you believe? So convinced of the reality of a holy God who loves you, who has so much affection for you that he would give up his own throne for it. Are you so convinced of that reality that if society dumps all the stigma it can manage? And you know what? Society can manage a lot of stigma. We're seeing that these days. Are you ready for that deluge because you are so convinced of this God and you know that his love is more important to you than all of the negativity of society's pressure?
1: So for communion, for perspective, for survival, How about for guidance? Wrong. Back up. Forward. Oh, he just doesn't like this slide. Here we go. In order to endure, this is that same quote, in order to endure the trial before them, they must understand the will of God as revealed in his word. Hmm. What proportion of us have ever asked the question, where shall I go? What shall I do? Lord, would you just speak to me? I don't, I'm lost. I'm lost and I need an answer. That answer is found in the same place. The same place is our communion. That same place is our connection. In order to endure the trial before them, they must understand the will of God as revealed in his word. My mind goes to the Apostle Paul, who got to the end of his life. And at the end of the Apostle Paul's life, we just met untoward circumstance, you know, one after another. I think you'll remember. And some of those were just completely, I mean, if you look at the politics, even in the church, the church politics that were behind Paul's getting imprisoned, um, it's real. It's really messed up, you guys, really messed up. I mean, there's these, oh, you know, well, we know that, you know, the Gentiles, and the Gentiles and that. but 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 the, the Jewish church, the Jewish Christian church here, they're just, uh, they're not ready. They think that you're, you know, pro-Gentile, and that's not cool. So what you need to do is just go do the ceremonial thing. We know you don't believe it in it, and that's okay. We don't believe it in it either, but just go do it at the temple real quick so that the Jews can know that you're not a troublemaker, and he goes to that. and, of course, that's where he gets arrested. And his, his mission was, in fact, Ellen White says, cut short. Hmm. But do you know that Paul, through all of this, number one, it's not only the time when he, he wrote much of what he wrote, so we know that he was of good courage. Why was he of good courage in the midst of all of this, this calamity? Because he knew him in whom he believed. Hmm. He was a man with a mission, and he was confident. He was sure of himself. And how many of us are always sure of ourselves? Maybe this is one of the reasons. For guidance. Those who endeavor to obey the commandments of God will be opposed and derided. They stand only in God. In order to ensure the tri- in- endure the trial uh, before them, they must understand the will of God as revealed in his word. They can honor him only as they have a right conception of his character, his government, and his purposes and act in accordance with them. They can honor him only as they have a right conception of his character. Do you know? Why should we have devotions? For communion, for perspective, for survival, for guidance, and for love.
0: Hmm.
1: For love. You know, I think this is one of the causes, one of the roots of a lot of the confusion in, in our society and even in Christianity and in the church These days. There's a fact. And the fact is that I cannot uh, honor God unless I know him. That's what this says. They can honor him only as they have a right conception of his character. So I can't honor God unless I know the truth about him. In fact, I cannot love God unless I know the truth. But did you know that? Because if I love a God, if I love anything but the true God, what am I loving? I'm loving a phantom on my own creation. Hmm. And I might call it God, and I might worship it as God, but it's not God. I think this is one of the reasons why we have so much confusion and so much conflict. Hmm. We have gods that that uh, might be 98% Jehovah. And 2% ignorance. Which, incidentally, makes it uh, makes the God the God. Small g. Ignorance, not Jehovah. But maybe if my God is 98% Jehovah, 2% ignorance, which is another way to say 100% ignorance, and your God is 98% Jehovah and 2% of a different kind of ignorance, do you know that we will not agree? In fact, we will be at each other's necks. Because I am a good Adventist. And you're supposed to be a, well, you're obviously not a good Adventist because I'm a good Adventist. And if we don't agree, then you've got a problem. And you need to fix your problem. Now you need to believe like I believe. What is it that I love? Mm. I have come to love a God of my own devising. Mm-hmm. They can honor him only as they have a right conception of his character, government purposes, and acts, in, and, and act in accordance with them. This goes farther because it goes farther than just this room and our, our church and Christianity. It's all this concept is pervasive in all of society right now. This is why you will run into people in the streets who will say, "Well, okay." You'll run into one person who says, "God cares about marriage," and in fact. He has given us a model in scripture, and that model is one man and one woman. And the reason why he gave us that model is because that is, in fact, an expression of the image of God. Those two different parts together, forming one family. God is three persons, one family. So he gives us... The human family to kind of model. So this is important, guys. This is important. And then you have the next person who goes to the next Christian church down the street saying, you are so bigoted. God is not like that. God is not bigoted. God loves everyone. Is it true that God loves everyone? Yes. Okay, let's try that again. Is it true that God loves everyone? Yes. Absolutely, positively, yes. But is it also true that God has... Um, <laughs> preferences. Is it also true that God has established certain bounds within nature and society? Yes or no? Yes, Yes, it is. So when God keeps his own bounds, is that bigotry? No, absolutely not. But can you see why it would be to the guy down the street, your friend, your neighbor who goes to the next church over, or even, God forbid, goes to your own church, who would be like, no, God is not like that. No, the God that I know is not. The God that we know You guys, here's the bottom line. It's not about the God that I know, the God that she knows, Hmm. uh, or let me say that again. It's not about the God I know versus the God she knows. It's a God that all of us ought to know more. Amen. That all of us ought to know better. The God that is trying to reach through the blindness that is natural to all of us. Hmm. They can honor him only as they have a right conception of his character. Why should we have devotions? The list goes on and on and on.
0: And once we know him, like Sean was talking about, know truly the God of the Bible, not just the God of my own desires, the God that I want to have, that accommodates the way I want to live. No, the God of the Bible, once we know him, then how do we exercise our love towards him? Because that's where the rubber really meets the road, is how much we love God. And in the next sessions, we're going to give very, very, very practical tools for how you can get into your Bible and, and... and enjoy what is there. But let's, let's, let's focus for a moment on this point of love. How many of you happen to have been at the GYC Phoenix 2014 that was here in 2014? Okay. Uh, uh, maybe 10%, maybe a little bit less of you. Okay. Three days before that, maybe some of you remember when I gave the opening night message, three days before that, this wonderful fellow who's sitting, this very handsome man that's sitting on this front row over here, Ta-ta-da. had proposed to me. And we had gotten engaged like three days before GYC Phoenix 2014. On Christmas Eve, he proposed to me. Now, fast forward from that time, we were engaged for about a year. We got married right after GYC 2015 in Louisville. Six weeks after, we got married. After that, for 18 months, I was never separated from this guy for more than eight hours. Eight hours only during the day. And all of that, those eight hours were impossible. It was a... A friend's wedding at Ben and Maddie's wedding, and he was his, Ben's best man. And I was like, ah, I don't ever want him to be a best man again. He's been gone all day long. So I was like, I can't handle this. He needs to, be, uh, he's, he's been gone too long. I miss him so badly. This is so sad. Okay, so I know my husband. We were just talking about.
1: They're there. <laughs> They're there.
0: Hey, he understands too, because he just got married six months ago. Mind so you, we have a trace. I have
1: only been separated from my sweet wife, who's right back there twice for more than four hours. One was for four hours, and one was for fun.
0: Yeah, I know. It is not fun. It is not fun, legit. Okay, so so I've been, been, been with this guy for 18 months and had never been separated for more than eight hours at Ben and Maddie's wedding, and actually during those eight hours, I did see him and speak with him, but, you know, he was occupied. Okay, so then fast forward to this last September. We've been married 18 months, and we've realized we have a schedule conflict that we did not know we had. He had promised to, well, we had kind of both told the Finleys that we would be with them in Denver with their, helping with their series. And at the same time, the GYC board meeting was happening that same weekend in Michigan. So we have a, an issue where I need to be in Michigan and we both need to be in Denver, but we talked to the Finleys and they let me off of the Denver engagement so that, or told me I could arrive late. So now we're gonna be separated for a whole week and I am not a happy camper about that, right? So it's the first time in our marriage we're separated for a whole week. Now, I love my husband because I know my husband and because my husband truly reflects the character of God to me. So now for the first time in 18 months we are separated. How much do you think we communicated while we were separated? Oh, that we just didn't even talk, we didn't chat, nothing, Yes, you know, no problem, we'll just, you know, I'll see him again in a week. Do you think that happened? No. Okay, every morning, I'm on the phone with him, he's praying with me, I'm texting him throughout the day, oh, I miss you, or oh, hey, this just happened, or oh, you know, it just occurred. And then in the evening, he would always call me, talk to me, pray with me before I go to bed. Now, let's talk about our relationship with God, which is supposed to be the closest relationship trumping even a wonderful marriage, which, by the way, is very wonderful, but our relationship with God, the Bible says that we are supposed to, by comparison of our love for God, by comparison, hate everybody else, including our fabulous spouse, okay? Not that we're supposed to hate our spouse, but by comparison of our love for God, our love for God is so much greater. So now we have this wonderful relationship with God, but, oh, you know, today oh, I, didn't, I didn't have much time to, to talk to him, but no, no worries, you know, there's always tomorrow, oh, tomorrow, oh, I woke up late. I just don't have time to talk to him today, but, you know, don't worry, I'll I'll connect tomorrow. Do you think that cultivates love very well? Ah, we understand it when it's in a human relationship and we're suddenly like, you know what, if he was gone for, you know, when we were separated for the first time, if we had not communicated, not talked on the phone, not texted, not nothing, people would say, well, that's a little bit unusual. Maybe they're not quite as close as they had implied. If they're just fine being a part of, you know, and don't even need to communicate with one another. But it's the same way with God. We have to cultivate a love relationship with God. And you know what? It's not easy because we cannot see him. We cannot necessarily audibly hear him talking to us. How, easy, how, how much of a relationship would I have with my husband if I never saw him? If we never, you know, he never had hugged me ever, ever, ever. And we only talked maybe, you know, once every great while for maybe five minutes, just a quick snatch. How close would our relationship be? Not very. And this is what we do with God. Oh, yeah. It's it's difficult because, hey, how many of our love languages can we exercise with God? Can we have a, you know, physical affection with God? No. Can we have words of affirmation? (laughs) Yeah, you know, okay, we're getting there, we're getting there. Can we have quality time? Ah, yes, we can. Can we have, uh, you know, gifts? Does God give us gifts? Do we pay attention to the gifts God gives us? Uh, sometimes, sometimes, maybe not. Sometimes we forget, okay. Uh, what's, the, what's the last one? Acts, acts of service. Does God do acts of service for us? Do we always pay attention to the acts of service that God does for us? Maybe do we do acts of service for God? So we have to understand why it is sometimes difficult. Back to the beholding is believing concept. Sometimes it is difficult for us to have that overflowing heart of love for God because it's a little bit easier for us to connect with someone who is right here. And that is why it is so crucial that when we come to the word of God, it's not just like, oh yeah, that was a great devotions. All right, off into my day. Because that is no way to maintain an intense love for God. No way to maintain it. And it is love for God that should underpin and undergird every single thing that we do.
1: Mm-hmm. Amen. So why should we have devotions? We're wrapping up here. For communion, uh, we were created for communion. This is the, the mountain you were born to climb. And it's not even... I say it's a mountain you were born to climb. It seems like a mountain these days. Mm. It's not even hard. It shouldn't be hard. Mm-hmm. Like really, having a having a relationship with the nicest, most beautiful person in the universe. Mm. We're like, oh, I just can't pull it off. What is my problem? Mm. For communion, for perspective, for survival, we live in a culture that is just anti and getting more anti everything God and mm. everything biblical. For guidance, for love. For Christ. For Christ. Christ who first loved us. Christ who never wanted anything. Like he just wants to be near his children. Mm. I said, You were created. I was created for communion. We're created because literally God is love and love needs an object. Mm. So he created this little mini. Image of God, crown of creation, especially so he could pour out his love. Especially so he could walk with and talk with, live with, be best friends with this creation. It's all God ever wanted. And it's all Christ wants now. Do a really good job of uh, running and hiding, you know, falling down and then crawling under a table. Hmm. And Jesus comes in the room because he's looking for us. And why is he looking for us? Because he wants to reclaim us to to himself. Because he, because he loves us and he likes us. Hmm. And so he just wants to he wants to be. He wants to hang out. And we deny him that because oh, I'm dirty, you know, you know, whatever. Oh man, are you serious? Are you serious? So, some of you have heard this story, and I. Uh, this is a story that runs over and over in my mind, and it's not even it's not even a human story, which maybe that's why it runs over and over in my mind, and that's why it, maybe why it teaches me something that some of the one of the deepest lessons I know about God. It's a story about a dog. happened not so long time ago certainly within nearly within certainly within the lifetime of your parents there was a dog who was best of friends with a soldier he was a US marine and he was serving in uh, vietnam now the two of them the marine with his training and his weapons and his sense and the dog, with her training, and her nose, and her sense, made quite a lethal pair. The two of them, in fact, were assigned to perimeter security. So on this particular day, they would they would uh, they would leave the base and uh, and patrol around the jungle trails to uh, to root out Viet Cong snipers and and whoever was you know. Trying to gain access, reach the perimeter of the base. So on, on one particular day, they did this. Uh, they did this quite often. They were very good at it. In fact, sometimes they would be walking along the trail, and the dog would suddenly stop, and the soldier walking right beside the dog would also suddenly stop, and the dog would would um, would sniff and then would sit, and the soldier would get down on hands and knees, with his eyes right, almost right on the ground, scanning scanning, looking, feel, and then he'd find it. He'd find the wire, fine as dental floss. The wire that was meant to, you know, to trip him and blow off the landmine. So he, you know, disarm the mine, dog gets up, and on they go, until the dog stops. The two of them together made quite a pair. In fact, they were stronger together. He with his weapons, she with her nose. The two of them made an almost... Invincible duo. One day, though, there wasn't a wire, and apparently there wasn't a scent. And so the soldier stepped and he stepped and then he stepped again and he stepped on a mine. And the next thing he knew, he was waking up. And in the fog of his consciousness, waking up, he suddenly was struck with this thought My dog. Oh, my dog. But then, as the the, the fog continued to lift from his mind, he opened one eye, and what do you think he saw? He saw the face of his dog bending over, looking, looking at him. And his second thought was, she's alive. You know what his third thought was, though? He looked from the face of his dog down at himself, and he saw his lung. And he looked off to his, his where it should have been, an arm, and there was a, a mangled mess on one side. His flak jacket had been ripped open, and um, one lung had completely collapsed, and his chest was torn open. His arm was, was gone. His leg was obviously, uh, it wasn't quite blown off, but completely useless. And so he had a fourth thought. My dog must not watch me die. And so he said to his dog, go home. And the dog stopped because she understood, but looked at him as though to say, are you crazy? And he said, I am not crazy. Go home. And the dog hesitated for a moment, and then she turned and walked off into the jungle. But only two or three paces, and the dog turned around and came back and whined and looked down into his face, and he said, Go home. She turned around again. And she walked into the jungle five or six paces this time, and then she turned around again and came back to look into his face, and all he could think with all... With the last bit of his passioned energy, my dog, she must not watch me die. Go home. He raised his decent arm, slapped her on the shoulder, and said through gritted teeth, Go home. And the dog turned around and walked into the jungle six or seven paces and turned around again. And when she got back to him this time, she did not lean over and look into his face. She lay down beside him as if to die herself. As if to say, I am not going home without you. It is both of us or neither. And so the soldier gave up. But the dog didn't. Suddenly, as if struck with a moment of inspiration, she leapt up, and with her teeth, German shepherd that she was, she was maybe a third of his weight, with her teeth, she took what was left of the good side of his collar, and he figured out what she was trying to do, and he thought, okay, well. And so he put his one good arm up, wrapped it around her neck, and the dog planted all four feet and pulled And she moved him about that much. And she backed up, planted four feet again, and pulled again. And something came alive in him. And he thought, okay, well, I guess it is both of us or neither. And so he started kicking with his one good foot. She dragged him all the way out of the jungle to the ditch beside the road. And then, when he was down in the ditch, she couldn't get him back out to get on the road. So she waited until a jeep came by. And when he did, she went up on the road, jumping around frantically. And the the uh, the other marines on patrol, when they saw her, they jumped out of their jeep. She took him back to uh, she took them back to her master. They loaded him up on the jeep, loaded her on the jeep, ran them back to base. Almost immediately. He was shuffled onto a helicopter and sent to the main base. And the dog ran around the base frantic, looking for her master. And when the lieutenant saw it, he was like, who's, oh, yeah, that's so-and-so's dog. Well, for crying out loud, why is she here? She should be there. He ordered another helicopter. And the the helicopter and the (laughs) dog is airlifted to the next base. And when the dog got back to the main base, jumped out of that helicopter and could not be caught by anyone, she ran up and down the rows in the hospital and in the tents until she found him. He'd just been pulled out of surgery, and she jumped up with, and curled her, her uh, paws over the rail of the bed. And I wish you had seen the look in the man's face when he told the story. His mm-hmm. hair was white as snow, and the tears were just running down his face. He said, how do you thank a dog that saved your life? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Words. <laughs> oh, good dog. How do you thank a dog that saved your life? You guys, in English, we have a word for this. Devotion. I'm going to let you make the application. Someone else came down, walked beside, suffered infinitely because of my misstep. And yet, when I wake up, it is he bending over me that says, I'm not going home without you. It's both of us or neither. That ought to be the driving route. Why? Why should we have devotions? For communion, yeah. For perspective, for, for survival, for guidance, for love, for Christ. For Christ's sake, study your Bible. For Christ's sake, find him. We're going to take a 15-minute break. And we will come back. When we do, uh, we'll pick up with just a few more uh, things on this topic, and we'll, we'll go to the next theme. But bow your heads with me, and let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this hour we've spent together. We just pray that, uh, that conviction would run deep, that you would inspire, encourage, educate, empower us through this, uh, through this time we've spent together. And wherever we go for the rest of our day, whatever um, seminars we visit and, and meetings we hear, may the Holy Spirit's call to us not just be audible, but be responded to mm-hmm. by us is my prayer in Jesus' name.
0: This message was recorded at the GYC 2017 Conference Arise in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.